Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Welcome to the Big Deep Water Podcast. Glad you're with us today. Um, I'm here, and once again, Dave and I have worked out our schedules, and Dave is with us as well. And Howdy, I'm excellently folks. happy to have him back. Yeah, it's good to be back. So today we're going to try something a little new. I told Dave a little bit about it, but he hasn't had any, any preparation for this at all. Um, what we want to do, there's a quote that I heard a while back. And it was by Jim Putman, which if you haven't ever checked out any of his stuff, it's really good. Uh, some of the beginnings of my understanding or changing of my understanding of discipleship and disciple making uh, came from a book he wrote. But he has this saying, and it says, you can't take the teachings of Jesus and separate them from the methods of Jesus and get the results of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah, pretty interesting little quote. And he would basically say, if I can put words in his mouth, is that we spend a lot of time talking about the teachings of Jesus, but for whatever reason, we've missed a lot of the methods of Jesus. And so a while back I decided, and by a while back I've been working on this, I bet, for nine months, uh, which it could be done a lot faster, but sometimes <laughs> I get sidetracked. So I wanted to go through the Gospels. Now, what I was just saying is is basically what I started with was like, okay, how did Jesus spend his time? And so I'm trying to do kind of like this overview of of the Gospels. How did he spend his time? And then I kind of branched that out a little bit, like who's he with? Where is he at? Just to kind of give some setting. And what I want to do with you tonight, uh, or what we're going to do is I'm just going to read through this the setting uh, right now we're going to take the gospel of Matthew and I'll read through it and then Dave and I are just going to reflect together on what what stands out to us uh what doesn't stand out to us or you know like what what the impression of it is flying over it somewhat saying okay like well what stands out what was Jesus doing how did he spend his time if we're going to spend our time like Jesus did we should kind of know how he did that so I'm going to fly through it I will tell you this uh I think it would be a great exercise. You'll get something out of it, I hope, uh, <laughs> listening to Dave and I talk about it. But it's also you'll get more out of it if you turn around and do it yourself. And I don't I don't think hearing me will hurt you doing it yourself. And there'll be some times maybe you'll think, well, what's he talking about? Or he skipped some stuff. I'm trying not really not talking about the, the teaching. Sometimes I'll allude to a story or uh, – and then he told this parable – and I might just give the name of the parable, assuming most of us kind of know know what it is. But mostly it's like, what's he doing? Um, so I would encourage you guys to do that yourselves, but I hope that this is helpful to you. And this is my first time. I've actually still got three chapters left in John. Um, so I haven't quite got them all done, but I'll get that hopefully in the next few days. And we will jump forward and see how it goes. All right. I actually can't read my first writing. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump in. We're going to jump into Matthew here and just go through this overview. I'm going to read you my notes, and as I just discovered, some of them I may not really be able to uh, read my notes. So hopefully I can read everything that I have legibly here, and we'll go. 
I think I'm going to try it. Every now and then I'll throw in a chapter just so you kind of know where I'm at. But some of the chapters actually are, are pretty short. Others will be pretty long. You know, chapters that's all about John the Baptist doesn't get much mentioned because Jesus isn't doing something. So how did Jesus spend his time? He's born. He receives some gifts. He flees. He grows up in Egypt and then Nazareth. He gets baptized. And he receives praise from God at that time. Now we're in Matthew 4. He fasts for 40 days and nights. Uh, He's being tempted by Satan. It implies at least that he spent time memorizing the Old Testament. He moves to Galilee. He preached, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He calls Andrew and his brother Peter to come follow. He calls James and brother John. Then he travels throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, healing every disease and sickness. People from all over where Syria bring sickness, demon-possessed, etc., to be healed. And large crowds from five different areas follow him around. He sees a huge crowd, so he goes up on a mountain. His disciples come, and he teaches them, and it's the Sermon on the Mount, Chapter 6 teaches the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 teaches the Sermon on the Mount. By the end, the crowds had gathered, and they said he taught with authority. Matthew 8, he heals a man of leprosy, then tells not to tell. Heals a centurion servant without seeing him and commends him for his faith. Goes to Peter and Andrew's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law. Drives out many demons and heals sick to fulfill prophecy. He sees crowds and gives orders to cross to the other side of the lake, but before he goes, he turns down, oh, he turns down slash challenges two unnamed followers, disciples who want to follow him. So either they, either he challenges them to follow or he turns them down with some kind of question when he, when they say they want to follow. He gets in a boat and his disciples follow. He rebukes the wind, the waves, and amazes his disciples. He heals two demon-possessed men in the tombs and sends demons into the pigs. The whole town asks Jesus to leave their area, and he does. Matthew 9. He went to a hometown. He forgives sins and heals a man. He brought glory to God. He called Matthew to follow him. Ate at Matthew's house with tax collectors and sinners. Teaches about fasting to John's disciples. Went with disciples to the ruler's home and healed a girl. Healed a bleeding woman on the way, healed two blind men, drove demon out of a mute man. He went through, oh, he went through towns and villages in his hometown area, teaching in the synagogues. He preaches the good news of the kingdom. He heals every disease and told disciples what to pray, specifically for workers. Matthew 10, uh, he gives 12 disciples authority to drive out evil spirits and heal diseases and sicknesses. He sent them only to the Israelites. He sent them poor and dependent. He instructed them what to do and how to do it, warns them about men, talks to them about what to fear and what not to fear, gives extensive instructions and warnings given to the disciples. Matthew 11, he teaches and preaches in the towns of Galilee. He replies back to John the Baptist, talks to crowds about John and the kingdom of heaven. Then he denounces most of the cities where his miracles occur. He praises his father and talks to him and gives invitation to the weary. Matthew 12, goes through the grain field on Sabbath with disciples, answers the criticisms of Pharisees, goes to synagogue and picks fight by 
healing a man on the Sabbath. He withdraws from there. People follow, and he heals them. He fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, casts out demons. He knows the thoughts and answers, and he, he knows uh, people's thoughts, and he answers them with parables slash stories. Then he answers another question of the Pharisees and teaches the law. He gives instructions about demons and says, Whoever does the will of God in heaven is Jesus' brother, sister, and mother. 13. Told parable to crowd about. Uh, he told parables to the crowd by the lake. Then he explains the parables to his disciples. Tells more parables about the kingdom of heaven. Leaves crowd and goes to the house where he explains parables to disciples. Tells disciples some more parables about the kingdom of heaven. Asks if they understand. Then he goes to home his hometown and teaches in the synagogue and amazes people. And then uh, they become offended after they're amazed. And then Jesus elects not to do any miracles there. Matthew 14. Uh, Jesus hears about John's beheading and withdraws to a solitary place. Uh, but the crowds come, and so he has compassion on them and heals them, and the crowd becomes the 5,000 that Jesus feeds. His disciples participate and clean up at the feeding. Then he sends the disciples away. He dismisses the crowd, and he goes to a mountainside to pray alone. After that, he walks on water to join back up with his disciples. The wind calms when he gets in the boat. He arrives at uh, Gennesaret. This time he's welcomed, and he heals all who he touches. Matthew 15. Are you catching this all? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he's questioned by a Pharisee and teachers of the law and responds with challenges back to them. He calls the crowd and clarifies about clean and unclean. Then the disciples ask about the conversations with the Pharisees, and he explains it. Then he explains parables, another parable after Peter asks about it. He leaves and goes to Tyre and Sidon and rebuffs a Canaanite woman before casting a demon out of her daughter and command, and then commends the woman for her faith. He heals large crowds, causing praise to God of Israel. Then he calls his disciples and presents his desire uh, to take care of the crowd. And he feeds the 4,000 men and plus women and children. Again, he has his disciples' help. He sends the crowds away, goes uh, by boat to close to Magadan. Uh, 16, he gets tested by the Pharisees and Sadducees and rebukes that generation, goes across the lake and warns disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he has to explain the meaning of the parable to them. He asks the disciples who he is, then he blesses Peter for his answer and made some promises about the church. He warns them not to tell that he is the Christ, and then going forward, he starts to explain to the disciples about needing to die and raise again. He rebukes Peter for acting as Satan with stumbling blocks. Uh, then he tells disciples about taking up the cross and following. Tells them about rewards and things in the future. 17, he takes Peter, James, and John and is transfigured. Jesus reassures them and instructs them not to tell and answers some questions from them. He comes down, casts out demon out of the boy, tells his disciples why they were not able to, because they had so little faith. And then he tells his disciples again that he'll be killed and raised to life. His disciples are filled with grief. Uh, they did not hear the last part. Sorry, I have this in parentheses. His disciples are filled with grief. My question is, did they not hear the last part that he was going to be raised to life? Hmm. Uh, so Jesus, then Jesus miraculously pays the temple tax for he and Peter with a coin on a fish's mouth. 18, disciples ask who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, calls a little child, and uses as an illustration. Then he instructs disciples and warns them. 
He tells disciples the parable of the lost sheep, tells about a brother who sins against you. Peter asks about forgiveness, the 77 times 7, and Jesus answers, and then tells a parable of the unmerciful servant to Peter and probably others around him. Matthew 19, he travels from Galilee to the other side of Jordan. Large crowds follow. He answers Pharisees' test about divorce, answers disciples' follow-up question. Then Jesus rebukes disciples over over children and places his hands on the children and and prays for them. Then he moves on. Rich man asks Jesus about getting eternal life. Jesus challenges him on commandments and then tells him to sell everything and follow Jesus. Man leaves. And Jesus speaks to his disciples about the difficulty of rich entering the kingdom of heaven. He talks about what's difference between what's possible and impossible with God and with man. And then he talks about the 12 uh, disciples judging the 12 tribes of Israel and rewards and about rewards for everyone who leaves something behind to follow Jesus. Matthew 20, he tells disciples the parable of the vineyard owner who paid everyone the same as he uh, at the end of the day, they all got the same. Then as he heads for Jerusalem, he pulls disciples aside and tells them that he's going to be betrayed, crucified, and raised back to life. He listens to James and John's mother's request, a position for her sons, and he responds back to that with a question. And then he tells them it's not for him to decide. Uh, he calls the disciples together and talks about how we get position in the kingdom of God. The great one is the servant. Uh, he tells them he'll be a ransom for many. Then he leaves Jericho with a large crowd. He asks uh, two beggars what they want, has compassion on them, and heals them. Matthew 21, he sends two disciples ahead to Jerusalem while he waits at the Mount of Olives, tells them to get down, uh, to get a donkey, and then he feels, fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Uh, Jesus sat on the cloaks on donkey and entered Jerusalem to cheering crowds. And then he enters the temple and drives out people selling in the temple. It says, my house will be called a house of prayer. He heals a blind man and uh, a blind and lame man at the temple. Uh, the children are shouting praise. He gives an answer back to the religious leaders when they ask him about that. And then he left and went to Bethany for the night. Next day, he returns to Jerusalem early in the morning. On the way, he's hungry. He curses a fig tree for not uh, having figs for him. He speaks about faith to his disciples, and then he teaches in the temple courts. He outwits the chief priests and elders when they question him about his authority to do these things. And then he tells the parable of the two sons sent to the vineyard. Uh, He tells them prostitutes will enter heaven before them. This is speaking, I think, to the religious leaders. Then he tells another parable to the chief priests and elders about the tenants in the vineyard. Uh, that wouldn't give the master their share. He really angers the religious leaders. They want to arrest him, but people think he's a prophet. Uh, 22, he tells uh, the same group another parable about the wedding banquet. This causes Pharisees to make plans to trap him. He answers Pharisees' tax trap. He answers Sadducees' question uh, with his... Oh, sorry. He answers the Sadducees' question slash trap. And then he astonishes the crowd with teachings and answers an expert in the law's question. The greatest commandment is love God. Second is love your neighbor. And then Jesus turns around and asks them a question, and he stumps them all. And from then on, no one dares to ask him any questions. Matthew 23, 
Jesus speaks to his crowd and to his disciples and proceeds to publicly rebuke the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Then he laments over Jerusalem. Matthew 24, he leaves the temple and while walking away with his disciples, uh, walking away, his disciples call his attention to the temple buildings. He prophesies that it will be completely torn down. He goes to the Mount of Olives and disciples come to ask, ask privately what he meant. Um, Jesus answers them and teaches them about the end of the age. 25, Jesus continues teaching his disciples. He tells them the parable about the kingdom of heaven, the parable of the ten virgins, parable of the talents. Then tells us about sorting of sheep and goats when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his angels and sits on his throne in heaven. Matthew 26, after teaching this to his disciples, he tells them the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified. Jesus is in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. The woman pours perfume on his head. The disciples rebuke her. Jesus rebukes disciples and explains it was done to prepare his body for burial. Burial. Um, His disciples make plans for Passover. They eat the Passover meal, and he tells again that he'll be betrayed. He directly tells Judas it's him. He breaks bread and wine, uh, talks about the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Tells he'll be betrayed this night. Tells Peter he will disown Jesus. Tells them he will rise, and the disciples are to meet him in Galilee. And then he went with the disciples to Gethsemane. He had most of the disciples wait while he went and prayed, but he took Peter, James, and John with him to stay and keep watch. He goes a little farther, falls to the ground and prays, returns to his disciples and finds them sleeping. Uh, He directly asked Peter and the others why they couldn't keep watch for one hour, Uh, instructs them to watch and pray so that they won't fall into temptation, goes away and prays again, comes back, finds the disciples sleeping again, goes back and prays again, and then he wakes disciples and says, prepare for the betrayer. Then he heals the man whose ear is cut off. He challenges the crowd about why they did not arrest him at the temple during the day. The disciples desert him. Jesus is silent through the trial. Finally responds to charge he is the Son of God. He confirms it and prophesies. Chapter 27, he answers the governor to the question, Are you king of the Jews? He gives no answer to the accusations. Then he takes a beating. He carries his cross. He refuses to drink wine and gall. He's hung on the cross. He cries out in Aramaic, I think in Aramaic, uh, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's offered wine vinegar, and then he cries out in a loud voice, (coughs) gives up his spirit, and his body is carried to the tomb, which is secured. Uh, 28, he meets women on the way uh, to tell the disciples that he is risen. Um, He tells them again to have them go to Galilee, and there they'll see him. He meets the disciples. He was worshipped. And then he gives the Great Commission to make disciples. We've now flown through the whole book of Matthew. Woo! Did you catch that all? You enjoyed your flight. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little hard for me even uh, just reading through it. Some of it's a little bit jerky. um, And sometimes my handwriting's deplorable. Mm -hmm. But as as you listen to it, what are some of the things, what stood out to you? Did anything jump out to you being different? Or what did you notice about how Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would answer the first thing off the cuff is uh, I noticed some things that were 
in the positive sense of what he was or did and some negative things as to what he wasn't and didn't do. And uh, the first thing I noticed is he wasn't, he didn't politic and he didn't sales pitch. So he, I almost found myself thinking, this this guy's not very strategic. He needs to get so he needs to get some coaching lessons from human resources department. <laughs> like, he's not afraid to just uh, straight shoot. Uh, mm-hmm. If you need it later, if you want it at some point, James, I kind of started taking notes over what seemed like were repetitive things he did or didn't do. But yeah, what are the what are anything else? Yeah. What are the, what are the things that you noticed that like, yeah, I heard these over and over. Again. Okay. Uh, storyteller. That was, he told a lot of stories. He liked, he'd like to tell stories. Mm-hmm. I would say the, probably the things that stand out without trying to milk my, my written list too much are uh, storytelling, challenging, calling and, and movement. Mm-hmm. Right. Movement. Storytelling, calling, challenging. Yeah. Yeah, he spent a lot of time moving for sure. And I thought it was very interesting. And I think you can get maps that are like, this is kind of where Jesus went. But like reading it where it's like, oh, now he's still in the same place, still in the same place, still in the same place. Okay, now he moves. Now he goes back to where he just was. Yeah. I think another thing, especially in Matthew, that uh, stood out to me is just how much time he spent healing people. Yes. Like that was a a big bulk of his time or a number of times that came out. It's funny you mentioned that too, because without, without trying to rabbit trail the conversation, I wonder if as the, I wonder if the reason that didn't stand out to me as much, I mean, I wrote it down, but uh, I wonder if one of the reasons it doesn't stand out is because I either am scared of doing that or have a preconceived belief that, oh, well, that's right up there with the in the class of like raised from the dead or have a dove fly down. Like those are the, just the Jesus things. Like mm-hmm. you know, we and uh, of course, not all people in the Christian tradition would be tempted to think that, but I do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think it's one thing. It's clear is that we can't heal people. Now Jesus can use us, and something I'm trying actually. Sometimes you don't like you. You need to do something, but you need a little guts to do it. Yeah. And uh, this week, when I was working, I had this guy come in, and he's had some back problems. The older man had some back problems too, and so he was asking me how my back. And then he said, "Oh, this is what they found out about me. They're going to have to do this." And I was like, "Well, could it, would it, you know, would it offend you if I prayed for you?" And he said, "No, nah, that'd be great, you know." And then it's like, "Okay, am I actually going to do this now?" And I was like, "Well, would it bother you if I just prayed now?" I know. So you know. I don't, I don't, we haven't ever talked about anything spiritual before. It's kind of a first one. So I just, you know, laid my hand on his shoulder and, you know, prayed a quick 15, 20 second prayer. I didn't, I didn't take him to a, a 20 minute oration. (laughs) (laughs) I just prayed and and basically, you know, I can't, I can't heal him, but I could invite Jesus to come and do that. Um, And Jesus can heal him. We'll see if that's how Jesus chooses to work or not. But just trying, one of the things I'm trying to work on myself is taking a step out and offering people that I kind of presume are not specifically spiritual. Like, hey, can I pray for you? Just like I would you if you said, hey, my back's hurting. Mm, Say, hey, can mm. I pray for you? I'd be like, yeah, or, you know, let me pray for you. 
I wouldn't even ask you. I would just pray for you. <laughs> um, I'd force it on you. Anyway, that's speaking of chasing rabbit trails, but inviting Jesus, you know, he, Jesus does heal a lot of people. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. we should jump back in there. And I think there was something to me a little different of like, Hey, I'll pray for you. And you'll assume maybe I did or won't, but you won't know versus like, let me actually, I, I'm going to pray right now with you. I think a little bit, man, I am rabbit trailing. That must be what podcasts are for. It's like when mm-hmm. Carl Medeiros was talking on one of his podcasts about like praying with this Muslim guy. And at the end, the guy was like, what was that? And he's like, what was what? You know, and but like, like Jesus had really touched this guy while he prayed. Um, oh, wow. Maybe I'll see if I can remember which podcast it is and put a link to the show. But it's one of those things like just inviting Jesus to come and be Jesus. Hmm. Anyway, what else? Back to back to Matthew off that rabbit trail. Yeah, I think one thing I would say is we we already said that movement was a big theme, like he was a mover or he moved. But I don't. While there was a definitely a geographic component to that that movement, like first he went to here, then he got in a boat, then he crossed a water body, then he walked more, and maybe it would be good to not so much get caught up on that, but to. You used the phrase earlier, he stepped out in faith, like you want to step out more in faith. It wasn't just, the significance isn't just rolled up in the fact that he, the significance isn't just rolled up in the fact that he was moving geographically, but he, as he was going throughout his day, he was stepping out in action and faith. Mm -hmm. Like that was one of his methods was to not, not just, well, I went somewhere and we're, you know, I talked to some, like he was. Very much in the active, he was living in the active voice constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very. Especially when you're like you're flying through it, but it really seems like wow, his life was busy. Yeah, you know? like we look at our kid in a room, like we're sitting in the recliner, and our kids just like bopping around, like dumping over toys, and then running over here, and then jumping on the couch, rolling off the couch, bonging their head. That it's almost like he's like that. He's just. Mm. He's mm-hmm. not. There's nothing sedentary about his life, and and once again, it's not just a an exercise or a geographical <laughs> thing, but just his person was always acting upon the world. Yeah, it was, and you know we know from other scriptures he was moving where God told him to. He was moving with the plan. Yeah. So what we take away from this is exercise, exercise with <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, for me, one of the the big things I, that I really clued on, it was just really like, like who is he with and who is he talking to? Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting dynamics, like even the Sermon on the Mount, you know, which I, you know, super famous, but it, it starts out, he sees this huge crowd, so he goes up to, on his mountain, his disciples comes to him and he teaches them. So it's like there's this crowd but he's not necessarily teaching them. He's teaching his disciples. And then at the end of it, it says uh, a large, you know, then it's talking about this large crowd. And so it's almost as though like he's speaking to his disciples in front of this crowd or he's speaking to his disciples and the crowd gets to come listen in almost as a freebie. And of course, you know, I have a, I have a bent towards disciple making. That's why we had the podcast but I, I got to where as I was going through this, I would just anytime the disciples were there, I'd just make a little underline. You know, and the yeah. page is just covered with it. And 
when you look at it in the sense of like, well, what was he doing with his disciples? Everything. Yes. You know, there's things he didn't do with the crowds and that he didn't do with the religious leaders. But other than like when he goes off by himself after the 5,000 to pray alone, seems like everything else is. And, and when he fled to Egypt, he didn't take his yeah. disciples there. <laughs> A little young. But but just there with him everywhere. Uh, and maybe we don't need to, I guess, to disclose that almost disturbs me a little because the first thing I do is react in fear going, well, how in the world would I do that? Because that's not how we live here in America. I mean, unless I want to become like this homeless vet has a contingency of people that follow me around every day. Like it, I, there's almost like this fear of like, how am I supposed to emulate that? And, but anyway, mm-hmm. I just I just admit that, but yeah, I was trying to look behind you on Skype and see if you had any of your disciples behind you living with you. Or... <laughs> they're they're watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, you know another yeah just interesting thing on the disciples. It seems as though to some extent, like when Jesus invited them to follow him, that they were basically taken care of. We don't at least we don't have any record of them providing their own needs anymore mm-hmm. you know and so it's almost like jesus like took them he's like hey come follow me and they did and, you know like he pays peter's tax with a fish he feeds the five thousand and them you know yeah. judas carried the money bag seems like they had this one money pot mm-hmm. and we do know uh isn't there somewhere where it talks about some women supporting jesus so there's some different people yeah I mean, maybe also if he was teaching them to look for people of peace, maybe he was also modeling that, like hmm. as they went into a village. Now that's that's speculation, but still. Mm-hmm. But I bet it's true. I can't imagine Jesus isn't isn't like gravitating towards the people. I mean, I don't I don't think any meal he went to or invitation he accepted was accidental. You know. No. Um, even the ones that wound up, I'm going to say, not being good, or that like he rebukes the people. Yeah. What else? Anything else stand out to you? Hmm. I would say the the reciprocal of, to say it in the positive sense versus the the negative, like he wasn't politic, he wasn't a salesman, he was a straight shooter, he was a challenger, he was a caller, uh, a lamenter. So he, he never, I don't think he, you know, lived a life that violated like what you see in the Proverbs where he, I think he still had discretion because, mm-hmm. you know, but, but, but he also didn't mince words and he never backed down. Mm-hmm. He never, he never let a profitable word go unsaid. As I've heard it said, he, he wasn't afraid to hurt people, but he didn't harm people. Mm. I wish I could claim it, but you anyway, go ahead. What about what about how he spent his time? Like if you were going to say, or if I was, let's ask this question to both of us. If you were going to say, like, okay, after this, thinking about how Jesus spent his time in Matthew, if I was going to make one change to my life to try to move more and align with what Jesus was doing, what would I, what would I change? This this might it's hard to put this into words. Like, let me see if I can. I think you would go on more adventures. I think you would 
instead of life happening to you, you would happen to life, or God through you would happen. Like earlier I was saying, like he lived in the active voice. He, you know, like I get up in the morning, go to my work, and just kind of have this feeling like life is the world is acting on me. I'm surviving. I, I make it home through traffic and, you know, puddle around my house. But I think even if he might do those same things, like he was always engaging the world. He wasn't just floating. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a log in the river floating down the stream. He was a fish mm-hmm. swimming in the stream and, yeah. So what would that look like for you? I think this is almost starting to sound like a, a t- like a a pickup or a Chevrolet or a tobacco commercial. <laughs> Live boldly, drive a truck, you know. I mean but <laughs> I mean he he just he was always engaging people. He was giving of himself into their he was pouring himself into them. Everything he did had meaning. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think back to when I was like a, maybe one good example is I think back to like when I was a single guy and I had Saturdays to myself and I would just sit in my house and kind of mope around and I think, man, I should have got out and, <laughs> you know, driven yeah. here and seen this mountain and talked to this person and had coffee with this. And, and I guess I just kind of pictured Jesus regardless of whether what your family whether you're single or what whatever phase of life you're in uh just waking up and uh it's hard to put it into words active not passive yeah i think for me when i look at it i just feel like he spends so much of his time around people yes you know now there was in fact, the only recording of when he was by himself was when he went by himself to pray. Maybe after he had just had too much. I just fed five to 10,000 people and <sighs> I got to get by myself and get with some God time. But he was way more, way more communal than uh, I am. I enjoy some time by myself and I think, I, I don't say that that's not valid, but I think for me, at least on Matthew, I think I would need to make more time to be around people. And I think, I think a lot of it, that, that doesn't mean he's just like randomly around people all the time. A lot of it was really specifically his disciples. And there's sometimes <laughs> like when he pulls away by himself where it's very intentional, but I feel like there's a lot of other times where he's like, I'm here with my disciples and you're welcome to come with us or watch or listen in. That's okay. I'm fine. Maybe I'll heal you later. But right now, I'm talking mm-hmm. to my disciples. Um, but I think, I think just maybe more time with people, and maybe more intentional time with people, which would include, yeah. which would include my children and wife, but might not include my children and wife while I'm laying on the bed playing my phone. <laughs> you know, that might not be. In fact, I don't remember Jesus doing anything on his iPhone. That's very <laughs> odd. Hmm. I should walk more, be with people more often. Yeah, I think what you've said is a practical. You you've put feet, I think, in a lot of ways to what I 
would have liked to have said is being more communal because, you know, living actively as opposed to passively, like what do you do when you're passive? You, you withdraw, you, you don't engage in relationship, you don't propagate relationship, you kind of minimize it and, uh, you know, don't make it deep and meaningful and, uh, see, I, I I agree with you being more communal, and even when he was by himself, like you say, he wasn't just contemplating his navel; he was actively engaging and being engaged by his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know when I'm by myself, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm, you know, engaging with with the Lord. It might just be me, you know, on my phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, and this is purely uh, hypothesis or, or speculation. Do you think Jesus was an introvert or an extrovert? Mm. Oh, man. I believe he was fully introvert and extrovert. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. Like in one sense, it, it talks about... I don't know. It talks about there being like nothing. There's nothing about his appearance that drew him. I don't. I don't picture him as necessarily being like this life of the party guy. I also don't picture him being like the wallflower. Back on there, we definitely know there was times that he withdrew, but we also definitely knew there was times where people were so attracted to him. And was it just the miracles they wanted to see, or getting fed, you know, free fish and chips? Mm-hmm. So, because where I was going or where the question came from, it's like, okay, I need to be more time with people, and I'm a, I'm a more on the extroverted side. Like, what does it mean if you're an introvert, or or were they just taking entire dick? We're both extroverts. Um, well, here, here's the thought. I think we have the verse in Hebrews that says, you know, for we do not have a high priest who cannot. Uh, sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. So, you know, not to, I, I, I don't have a hard time believing that he, I don't think he was this superhuman that I'm both introvert and extrovert, but I, we at least know from scripture, I would say that he could relate with the introverts temptation to be exhausted and withdraw. And maybe we could also say he, he could fully relate to the extrovert's temptation to, or, or craving for people, maybe. Uh-huh. That might be true. And we definitely see times where he, like, withdraws and recharges himself with God. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Any other brilliant thoughts? Give it your best shot. <laughs> No, I I don't think so. I think, I think uh, once again, I know it's starting to sound like a uh, a tobacco or a pickup or a, a Wrangler jeans ad, but he he lived boldly, like you say, he lived communally. I I don't think I have anything beyond that. Okay. Well, I think I don't, I don't know how the podcast is today. If y'all enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it, I will tell you one thing, and I I kind of want to go back and like read it quietly where I'm not reading it out loud and just see how that strikes me and affects me. But the one thing I'll definitely tell you, I want to use an analogy. If you're a, if you're a good basketball player and you watch a great, I like college basketball better than, than NBA for the most part. 
if you watch a great game, like it'll make you a little better watching it. But if you go out and you play the game, it will improve you even more. You know, and, and the the takeaway for me is I feel like it's still been just very good about trying to know Jesus or get a better picture of him and going through this this specific study of like, well, how's he spending his time? What's he doing? What are his methods? Has been really good for me personally. I've said it a hundred times. I don't think we know Jesus well enough. And mm-hmm. I'll say I don't know Jesus well enough. Uh, and often I've, I fear that if Jesus would come physically here today, like he came last time, I want to say kind of quiet and covert, not like coming in the clouds like we expect him the next time. But if he came that way, I fear that many times it would be the church would be the ones that rejected him because he doesn't yeah. look like what we think. And then, of course, the, the follow-up fear is like, would I would I be the one? And so I think it's great. I would encourage you and everybody else listening. It's a pretty good little it's a pretty good little exercise. You might come away with different things than I do. And if you're an introvert out there or anybody out there, I'd love to know if you go through it, like what are the things that stood out to you? Um, you can send us an email at podcast at luke5.com. Would love to know. Love to know what you pulled out of it or, or what you saw new in Jesus. So that's it. We appreciate you guys being with us. We hope it was beneficial. Hope you had a nice little fly through Matthew. We'll see where we go from here. Well, James, thanks for taking us. Thanks for sharing what you harvested. Yeah. I don't know if I harvested, but you can at least see the, <laughs> you can at least see the rows I plowed. And, uh, there you go. And if, if you want to try jumping in yourself, you know, you can try it and see like, well, and it's always a, a mix of like, do I include that? Well, is he really doing that or saying that? And, uh, but just trying to focus on different aspects of Jesus because he's so big that we can't really seem like to ever really get it. We can't ever get a grasp on him really, hmm. but to get another, to, to examine one facet of him a little bit more to try to understand it. And then another facet. Yeah. Well, that's it for us. You guys go and make disciples this week. We love you guys. and We'll see you sometime soon. Later gang. <laughs>